Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen. Today, as you're having a seat, get your Bibles and go with me to Acts. This is the story of us like we talked about. We're going to start in Acts chapter number 18 and end in Acts chapter number 19. Today, the title of the specific message is a question, and I believe that we all need to ask this question of ourselves, and today we're going to answer this question, but also I believe that the Spirit of God is going to get His finger on some things in your life that, that might challenge you. Maybe, maybe they'll hurt a little bit. You might say, ooh, ouch, instead of amen, you might be saying, oh, me today. That's all right. Put a smile on your face because you know that God is up to something good. The title of today's message is this, is what is missing from your Christianity? What is missing from your Christianity? Thank you for that one holy owl over on my right side. Acts chapter 18, verse number 24, and verse number 25, starting out. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 18, verse number 24. Now, the, the story goes on that Paul has been traveling. He was in Corinth last time we left him. He's traveled on to a place called Ephesus. He took his new friends, Aquila and Priscilla, the tent makers, with him, and they stayed there in Ephesus, but, but Paul has to move on. He's got to get back to Jerusalem. And so he travels back home, and on the way, he's got a vow that he's taken, so he shaves his head, and, and he moves on and goes. And we, we stay there in Ephesus. In Acts chapter number 18, verse 24, it says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. Stop right there for a second. Think about this man. You know, the Bible doesn't tell lies on people. God is not exaggerating about this man. This man was an educated man. He was born in Alexandria. Alexandria was famous. It was named after Alexander the Great. It was known as one of the three centers of education in, in the Roman Empire. It had its famous library. No doubt being born there was almost like being born at Harvard or Yale or, you know, Oxford, something like that. It was one of those types of things. He would have had access to the library and access to education, access to philosophers and, and educators and different things like that. And, and, and so it says Apollos was, was born there in Alexandria, and it says and he was an eloquent man. That means, like Pastor Joel says, that he knew how to spoke. He, he, he could weave words. He, he could spin your head with his, his eloquent speech. Everybody probably heard him and just went, man, I just like the way that guy talks. He was an eloquent man. And look at this, mighty in the Scriptures. Now, not just knowing the Scriptures, but the Bible says mighty in the Scriptures. He came to Ephesus. I love this because this guy, already we like him, don't we? I mean, he's eloquent, he's educated, he's everything that we would think that the world would want someone to be. Verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Everybody say of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. And, you know, Saturday service, I love them so much, but they didn't really get this answer right. I just want to hear the perfect Sunday school answer this morning. Who is the Lord? Thank you, thank you. In case you don't know what that means, the Sunday school answer, you know. What, what's furry and lives in the forest? Jesus, right? Okay, so. The Lord is Jesus. Look at this. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Once again, who is the Lord? Jesus is the Lord. So he taught accurately the things of the Lord, and he was fervent in spirit. This man is bold. 
He tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth he taught accurately. He was fervent in spirit. That literally, if you look it up in the original language, means boiling over. This guy was not just educated, not just eloquent, not, not just coming from the right stock. This man knew something about the Lord, and because of that, it was bubbling up over out of him, and he taught accurately the things of the Lord. Look at this last part of the sentence, though he knew only the baptism of John. In other words, he was missing something. Now, you remember John, John the Baptist. He was the one who came baptizing, and it was a baptism of repentance, turning from sin. Why? To prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, John's whole ministry was this. That's it. I'm going to prepare the way of the Lord. I'm going to tell someone about the one who's coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. There is one coming after me. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. His whole ministry was just this. That's it. That was his whole ministry was, I want to tell someone about Jesus. And so Apollos comes and he knows that Jesus is the coming Messiah. He knows that he's the one. Probably knew that Jesus went to the cross and died. Probably knew that he raised from the dead. But he's still preaching, you need to repent of your sin. You need to be water baptized. But he stopped short. He knew accurately, but he didn't know completely. There was something missing from this man's faith. How many of you know accuracy matters? I think that's really been played out because you can't even put a tweet, you can't post a picture on Facebook, you can't mention COVID-19, Republican, Democrat, without somebody putting a little fact check, the CDC, for more information, learn more here. If you want to know about election fraud, I don't want to know about any of that junk. I said what I said, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. You know what I'm saying? I'll get, I'll get off that, I'll get off that. Sorry. I apologize. Accuracy matters. Remember, there was one time in the ministry, we were doing this ministry emphasis, and we had this whole program that we were rolling out, and we were getting people to, to pledge versus participate, and we, we were really heavy on, let, let's pledge to be involved in this ministry. Let, let's make sure that people sign up for it. Let's make sure that they pledge that they're going to be involved that there's a time frame, that sort of a thing. And so we were, we were really building this up, and we felt like we were building momentum. And as we were going, we were going like, man, this is really successful. And, and some data came up, uh, and, 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 and the people that were, were involved in the decision-making process got this data that said, hey, there's more involvement just in participation rather than the pledge. And we said, well, hey, cool, let's ditch the pledge then, and let's just go with participation. And, and so we switched courses in the middle of this ministry emphasis, and as we were going with participation, we noticed that all of a sudden, the momentum that we had before started to peter out. And we're scratching our heads going, what happened? You know, what's going on? And so we went back to the table and went back to the data, and we realized, oh, whoops. It wasn't participation that people were just going, like everybody's just getting involved on their, no, we needed pledges. The pledges were actually what was getting people going. Actually signing their name and putting a commitment down was what was really bringing about the momentum of this ministry. And we never quite got back to that momentum. It, it, it kind of just, like we, 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 we had switched horses a couple times now, you know, and it was like we, we kind of lost that momentum. Accuracy matters. 
We need to know not just about the Lord. We need to know the fullness of the way of the Lord because there are many people in churches today People listening to my voice in this church here this morning. People who are going to listen online. People are going to even watch the replay. Mark my words. You may know accurately the things of the Lord, but you don't know completely the things of the Lord. Because it's not enough just to know about Jesus. Not enough to know about his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You can know it, you can teach it, but you can't miss the point about what it's really all about. You got to know what the point of it all is. Verse 26. Let's keep reading and see what happens. Here he is. Verse 26. So he began speaking boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. Remember Aquila and Priscilla, the tent makers. These are Paul's fellow workers. Here he comes. He speaks accurately, but not completely, because he only knew the baptism of John. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God. Look at this. Look at this. What's that word right there? A little four-letter word starts with the letter M. More accurately. See, he taught accurately, but they came and they taught him more accurately. Now, they didn't shame him. They didn't stand up in the middle of the synagogue and say, um, excuse me, uh, maybe you haven't heard let, let, us, let us show you what's going on here. Let us, let us tell you the deep things of God. No, they didn't do that. They didn't exalt themselves. They pulled him aside privately and said, hey, excuse me, that was wonderful. Right on. Can, can we share some things with you? We would love to have you for lunch. Why don't you come over to the house? They brought him aside, and the Bible says they taught him more accurately. In other words, hey, you've got the baptism of John down. You, you've got the fact that John was pointing to Jesus. Cool. Repentance from sin? Yes. But let me tell you what happened at that cross. Jesus took the payment. He, he is the one who took on the penalty of our sin. He was bruised for our transgression. He was wounded so that the chastisement of our peace could be upon him. It was transferred to Jesus on the cross, and now whoever believes on him will be saved from sin. It's not just about turning. It's not just about behavior modification. It's about a heart transformation. You can be born again, and guess what? Jesus ascended, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father in power, and now he sent the Spirit of God. You can be filled with the Spirit. I believe they had these conversations. And you know, when we read the word, I don't know about you, but you know, oftentimes when I read the word, I read these verses, and it seems like it just took five minutes. They pulled them aside, and they taught them miraculously. Almost like in the corner of the synagogue, they just said, Psst, come here. Hey, you've, you've got just part of it, right? And as quickly as I explained it to you right now that that's all it took, because the next verse talks about him wanting to go over to Achaia, and they write him a letter of recommendation. Can I ask you a question? After knowing someone for five minutes, would you write them a letter of recommendation? No. Hopefully you wouldn't, right? I only heard like two no's in the crowd, so rest of you guys, I'm going to pray for y'all. But here's the thing. It probably took time. It probably took questions. He probably said, okay, so wait a second. Hold on. Tell me more about the Spirit. Tell me, tell me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wait, speaking in tongues? Right? That doesn't sound right. Tell me, tell me more about that. And they probably opened up the Old Testament and talked about it with stammering lips, right? And, and, and they brought these truths out, and they told them about the expressions. They told them about the prayers. They told them about gifts of healings. They told them about all these things and explained more accurately the whole purpose and point of John's ministry, of Jesus' ministry, and of his death, burial, and resurrection, and now the ministry of the Holy Spirit on the earth today. 
And he gets built up in these things. He receives these things. And we know that because the next verse. Look at what it goes on to say in the next verse. It says, and when he desired to cross to Achaia, that's where Corinth is, right? He wanted to go over to, to Achaia. It says, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. Can I tell you something? You cannot help someone who's believed through grace if you haven't re- believed through grace. Why? Because you cannot give what you do not have. And the carnal mind cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God. So if Apollos still was just with the baptism of John, then he wasn't born again according to faith in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But apparently along the way with Aquila and Priscilla, he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He was saved. He was baptized. And now when he opens his mouth, he not only teaches fervently, eloquently, accurately. Now he's got the whole story. And so he greatly helps those who had believed through grace. Look at the next verse. It says, for he vigorously refuted the Jews, publicly showing from the scriptures, not the baptism of John, but that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. If you aren't saved, you don't have the Spirit. You don't have the understanding that you need. And many people think that it's enough just to sit in church and know about God learn about God, have mental assent and acknowledgement towards God, and never receive the Spirit of God into their lives. What's missing from your Christianity? Is it a real relationship with Jesus? Is this just something that you do on Sunday? Is this just kind of a cultural Christianity? Well, that's how my parents did it. That's how our society did it. You know, there's places in the United States called the Bible Belt. It is a cultural Christianity where people just show up to church because that's what we do. We would encounter them when we were living there for a period of years going to Bible college, and we worked at a secular business, and they would come in in their Sunday best and cuss us out. No more Christians than the man in the moon probably could school us, probably could, could preach. There are people who could preach circles around me, spin our heads, and yet they're not saved and have no business being in a pulpit. I'm coming on strong, but I got I to gotta tell you because this was my experience. And let me share my testimony with you because many of you guys know that at age 15, I, I got saved. I gave my heart to the Lord, never looked back. I was born again. I was different. Everything was different. Man, my goodness, that night I went to bed with a dark cloud over my head. The next morning I woke up and it was sunshine. It was amazing. The birds, their song in the morning seemed like they were singing to heaven. Every tree was pointing up to Jesus. My goodness, even the smog was declaring the glory of God that morning. I was just like, what is going on? I'm different. I got saved, and and it was a marked difference in my life. My mouth, I used to cuss like a sailor, age 15. That's what teenage kids in Moval did, you know what I'm saying? And yet, bang, I got delivered, and my mouth got delivered with me. It just cleaned me up just like that. I had to learn how to cuss from my beautiful wife. I'm playing. Oh, and and my sister-in-law, Kimmy, yes, yes. Apologize, I apologize. Got it. Accuracy, accuracy matters. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Is that before that, let's, let's just rewind and see where I came from. See, I was raised in church. Went to a Lutheran school. You know, Lutheran is as close to Catholic as you get as being Protestant, right? 
still sprinkling, still doing the, the call and response, the liturgy, and all that kind of stuff. I was raised in those environments. In fact, growing up in that school, I could recite all 12 of the names of the disciples. I don't think I could do that today. You know, Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, I think there's a Thaddeus in there. Oh, Judas, we got him, right? I'm, I'm only halfway there, y'all. A couple of Jameses in there, right? But see, that's the thing is that it was all up here. It was all head knowledge. It was all just uh, reciting the books of the Bible and those sorts of things. Empty. Empty. And by the time I hit age 15, I was leading praise and worship in my youth group unsaved. Like I said, this is my experience. This is my testimony. And yet there came a time where I saw something in my brother. He came back from a mission trip, lit up on fire for God. And I saw there's something missing from my Christianity. And what was missing was that Spirit of God living on the inside of me. And the power of the Holy Spirit moving me. Accuracy matters. See, Apollos greatly helped those who believed, and he reinforced the truth that they had heard from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I'll just put it up on the overheads for us. The Apostle Paul writes this, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. See, it's not enough just to know a truth. It's not enough just to mentally acknowledge it. There is a planting of seed, but then that seed has to be watered. In fact, the book of Ephesians says, by the washing of the water, by the word. The word of God is both the seed and the water. And so you get a belief on the inside of you. You receive a scripture, but it's not enough just to get it down one time. It's not enough just to know it and acknowledge it. It has to be watered. It has to be reinforced. You ever wonder why sometimes we preach the same message that you heard like a year ago or four years ago? Why we go over the same scriptures? Here's the reason why is because those beliefs are seeds that are still growing and they have to be watered. Anybody have grass lawn, right? Stupid question, pastor, who doesn't? Well, we are in California, and there has been drought conditions, and some people got rock lawns, right? And we got plants around your house, that sort of a thing. You can tell when the plant needs to be watered, can't you? I can tell. When it's rainy, I turn my sprinklers off because I'm like, yes, money savings right there. You know what I mean? There is money falling out of the sky. And I'll turn my sprinklers off for a period of time. But I can tell when I need to turn the sprinklers back on. Because my grass turns a certain shade of greenish gray, and it just looks sick. And I walk in, and I see my grass looking like that, and I go, ooh, I forgot to turn the water back on, right? And I rush, and I turn it back on, and within a couple of days, we're back lush and green. See, in the same way, if you just throw seed out there and you never water it, it's going to wither and die. It will never take root and never produce any fruit in your life. We have to refresh those things. We have to water it. We have to make sure that those beliefs are reinforced. But not only that, remember that the Spirit is also spoken of His water. Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And it says He cried out this concerning the Spirit. See, we need that washing. We need to water the Word. We need not just the Word cold and dead on a page. No, we need the Spirit of God to come and illuminate it to our lives. We need the Teacher, the Holy Spirit, to come and speak to us and reveal His truth to our lives. We've got to water the seed. Let's read on in Acts chapter number 19, starting in verse number 1. 
It says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Everybody say disciples. Now, most of the time in the New Testament, when you read the word disciples, you will find that it is disciples of Jesus. These are people who are disciplined followers. Now, John the Baptist had disciples too. All right, everybody on the same page? Because disciple means a disciplined follower of a certain way or a person. So these are some disciples. In fact, uh, verse number 7 tells us there were 12 of them, all right? Finding some disciples, verse 2, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's a great question. That's a wonderful question because it locates the accuracy of what they heard. Remember, we said accuracy matters because they believed something But what were they believing? Was it the fullness of what God had for them? Or did it fall short? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Whoa. Now, if they were disciples, even if they were John's disciples, then they had the Old Testament and the Old Testament, you can find the Holy Spirit all throughout the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon Elijah, and he outran a chariot. The prophets spoke by the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God filling the temple. You can find the Holy Spirit all throughout the Scriptures. They would have had the Holy Spirit, but now Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they were like, "Mm, Holy Spirit? We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Obviously, they, they may have known something, but they didn't know more accurately what this was all about. Paul was able to locate where they're at, verse 3, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Remember, Apollos knew the baptism of John, a baptism of repentance, a baptism that pointed to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying that the people, that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. He teaches them more accurately the way of the Lord. Look at this. Verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I love that. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, sometimes people get hung up on water baptism, right? They think, you're not saved until you're baptized. That is not true. Because Cornelius and his whole house got filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter looked at them and said, whoa, 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 if they've got the gift of the Holy Spirit, what's stopping them from water? See, you don't receive the Holy Spirit unless you're saved. So they got saved without water baptism, but baptism was important enough of an expression for them to take them to the waters. And and, and in fact, if you read on in the epistles, it talks about different baptisms. There is a baptism into the body of Christ where you are brought into and submerged into the body of Christ. There's a baptism into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe, you are brought in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we belittle or, or, or discredit water baptism. It's still important for the life of every believer. And I believe that if you haven't yet been water baptized, man, the next time that fountain is open for that, you need to go jump in. And be a part of that. It's important. It's an important part of your walk. And every step you take with Christ will take you to a deeper level with Him. So here they are, and they are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, and when Paul laid hands on them, mm, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now think about this for a second. 
There are teachings about the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, when you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and you are born again. You are now wall-to-wall Holy Spirit. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. But now there is a subsequent second act of grace that God gives, okay? We saw this with the disciples. Jesus breathed on them in John chapter number 20, said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. I believe that was the moment they were born again. But then he said, wait, tarry in Jerusalem until the the gift of God has come upon you. I will send the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter number 2, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. He says he sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And now that second act of grace. In other words, they're saved, but they hadn't been baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost yet. They needed the power of God. And it was important enough to wait for And so here, they received the power of God. Same thing with Philip, right, in Samaria. Philip goes down to Samaria. He he has a revival meeting. Miracles are taking place. People are getting baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're saved. And yet the apostles come down and lay hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And it's so powerful that there's a former sorcerer that sees it and wants to buy the power. So here Paul gets them saved. They're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're born again. But then it was important enough for him to say, hey, don't stop here. Accuracy matters, but I want you to go further. I I want you to know that there's more. I want to water this word right now. And so he lays hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Look at this. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied, just like on the day of Pentecost. They had their own personal Pentecost. See, speaking in tongues is praise. It's worship. It's a personal worship. It's you speaking mysteries to God where maybe your mind is not edified, but your spirit is edified. You find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter number 14. It's an important part, I believe, of every believer's life that we should desire to pray in a prayer language. As well, I believe that prophecy is important too. Prophecy is not just telling the future. It's not fortune-telling. No, it's speaking forth and declaring the wonderful works of God. It's having the ability to speak forth the truth from God's Word by the Holy Spirit. That's what prophecy is. So they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. It was an initial evidence that the Holy Spirit had come upon them. Church, don't be content with half a truth. Let me ask you this, for those of you that know the answer to the question. You could, it, it's a hollaback sermon today. You can tell me the answer. What's another name for a half-truth? Thank you. It's a lie. And the devil has lied to us in church and said that it's enough to get saved and then just sit there and do nothing with it. It's enough to get saved and just know about Jesus. Why? Because the devil wants a whole bunch of ineffective Christians running around on the earth. He wants us to come to church on Sunday, say amen and hallelujah, and then curse like a sailor on Monday through Friday. Maybe we'll clean it up on Saturday. Maybe we'll clean up our act. But many people feel so guilty Because they're living powerless lives as Christians, and there's something missing from their Christian life. Why? Because they never watered the Word. They may be saved, mm, but they don't have the Spirit. Church, get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I had a friend told a story one time as he was ministering. He said it happened to him. I think he might be a liar because I think I saw the story on the Internet. But I'm going to tell it to you like he said it, like it was him. 
He said that uh, he had a tractor, and uh, he was using this tractor one day. He actually had a landscaping business, so it could have been true. And uh, he said he was using his tractor one day, and he parked it. And uh, next day he came back and went to fire up the tractor, and it just sputtered out and didn't start. He thought, that's weird. He tried and tried and tried and just wouldn't turn on. So he went down. He checked all the spark plugs, make sure nothing came loose. Everything, all the contacts were clean, all that kind of stuff. Checked it all. Everything was good. Maybe he thought rats or something like that might have eaten some of the vacuum lines or some of the hoses, right? And so he started looking at the hoses and everything. Everything looked good. Everything looked clean. Everything was connected right. Couldn't, couldn't see anything that, that might have been chewed away. Looked at all the, the electrical connections, all the wiring, all that kind of stuff. Make sure nothing was chewed apart. Everything looked good. He checked all the gears, all the components, opened up the hood, was looking at everything, everything. Nothing had come loose. Nothing, nothing seemed to be wrong. And so after he checked everything a couple of times, hours, hours, just checking and checking and looking and making sure everything was good and trying and trying and trying and nothing starting, nothing starting, nothing starting, nothing's happening, just keeps sputtering out. Finally, exhausted and frustrated, he calls up a mechanic and says, hey, I, I can't get this thing to go. I don't know what's going wrong. I've checked all the connections. All the contacts are clean, all the spark plugs. Everything should be firing the way that it should be. All the vacuum lines, all the hoses, nothing's been chewed apart. All the electrical connections, all the gears, everything mechanically seems to be where it should be. And I just don't know what's going on. I need an expert. Can you come out and fix my tractor? The guy says, I can be there later on today. Later on, the mechanic shows up, and he comes, and within one minute, he's got the tractor working. And this guy is amazed. He's just like, oh, my goodness, what did you do? And he said, well, I started where I always start. I just checked the gas tank, and you were out of gas, so I just put some gas in, and it fired right up. That'll be $50. No, I'm, I don't know how much it was, but, but see, that's the thing. What's missing? For many Christians, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. They've got everything else connected, everything else. They've got all the knowledge. They've got all the scripture memorization. They've got everything that they can get. And yet God says, start with the tank. Start where I tell you to start. Get filled up, and from that place you can flow. See, these disciples knew the teaching. They'd received the baptism of John, and John pointed to Jesus. Most likely they knew that Jesus was the Messiah, that he died and he raised again. But they thought that the only expression of that was a baptism of repentance. But Paul knew they were missing something. They were missing salvation and the Spirit. They were missing saving grace and Spirit power. Today, what's missing from the church in our society, in our day and age, is both salvation and the Spirit of God. And we need both back in our churches. It's time that the real church stand up and be who we're called to be, know what we're called to know, and do what we're called to do. But we can't do it if we're not saved. You can't give what you don't have. And if you're not saved, sit down. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But if you're not filled with the Spirit, mm, you're missing out on special grace, power. But church, today I've taught you accurately. But I haven't taught you completely yet. Because there's still something more. There is a greater expression that God wants his church to live in. This is the one thing that I believe is missing from most people's Christianity. Because the ultimate expression of grace, the ultimate expression of our salvation, and the ultimate expression of the power of the Holy Spirit is his love. We're saved 
because God loved us. We're saved because God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. And we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because God loves us. He wants us to experience his joy and all the fruit, peace, right? God wants us to experience those things for ourselves. God loves us. God wants us to be able to pray in tongues and edify our spirit man. God loves us. He wants that for us. But guess what? You are not saved just for yourself. And you're definitely not filled with the Holy Ghost just to bless you. Because there are churches that say that the ultimate expression of a Christian is to be filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. That is not true. That's accurate, but there's a more accurate way. There's something greater than just coming together as a church, speaking in tongues and prophesying and interpretation of tongues and word of wisdom and word of knowledge. Those things are wonderful. Miracles are great. We love them. They're awesome. They happen here at The Rock all the time. But that's not the greatest expression. The greatest expression of the power of the Holy Spirit is the power to love others how God loves them. And God fills us, and he empowers us with his love so that we can love others and bring others into that love. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, remember I mentioned this, if you want to learn about the gifts of the Spirit and the workings of the Holy Spirit, chapter 12 and chapter number 14, but right there in the middle, a spirit sandwich. You know what the meat of it is right there in the center? Love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, the last verse before we hit this chapter on love. Look at what it says. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts. He says, I want you to have a passion and a fervency. I want you to have an earnestness about you. I want you to want the Holy Spirit power and the gifts in your life. Don't get that wrong. That's accurate. But look at the next sentence. And yet, I will show you a more excellent way. He says, this is good, but this is better. You need this, but you need this more. See, the more is love. We know that. And if we miss this more, then Paul goes on to write that we are a sounding brass, a clanging cymbal. We are nothing, and it profits us nothing. Not my words. That's the words of the Bible. And too many people stop short of the full love of God. They know accurately that Jesus loves them, but they fall short of knowing more accurately that God wants to love others through them. The Spirit is given that the waters would flow from you, out of you, and water others. Can we pray together together today? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Come on online. Don't log off. God wants to do a work in you right now. God wants to impart grace to the hearer right now. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Father, we receive your word today with meekness. We are readily submitted to the power of your Holy Spirit, the power of your love, God. And I thank you, God, that you loved us. Today we've heard accurately and even more accurately your plans and your purposes for your church. God, you know what's missing from each and every one of our lives. And so right now, would you just minister that grace? Would you speak to your people and show them the void of what's missing in their Christianity? Thank you for listening to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.